Well, good morning, Zoe Church. We are so glad you are with us this morning. I wanna welcome those of you who are here for the very first time. We're so glad you're able to join us. If you could do me a favor, if this is your first time, if you're new around here, would you simply go to the comment section or go to the chat area and just type the word new? Uh, we just love to know that you're with us here this morning. As we continue the series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks and we'll be in for the next several months as we're studying through the book of Philippians together, I hope the last couple weeks have been encouraging to you, uh, have been challenging to you. I know today I'm excited to share this as we actually wrap up the introduction section of this book. I know it's taken three weeks just to get through the introduction, but there is so much in here. And this morning we're wrapping it up with this closing prayer that Paul has in this letter. Now, I don't know about you, but prayer is something that isn't always easy for me. You know, sometimes I, I don't know what to pray for. Honestly, there's other times where I fall asleep when I pray. Uh, maybe you've experienced that before yourself. I don't feel bad because even Jesus' closest disciples fell asleep when they were praying. But, but even though prayer isn't always easy, uh, studies have actually shown that like 50% of Americans still say they pray on a regular basis. Now, what they pray about, now that's a, a different story. Uh, one of the studies said this. It said that 5% of people pray that somebody would get fired, right? 7% of people have prayed not to get caught speeding, right? 13% have prayed for their favorite sports team to win. And we know that's the only hope you Vikings fans have. 21% have prayed that they would win the lottery. And 41% of people have prayed for somebody that's mistreated them, right? And although Jesus says, you know, you should pray for those who persecute you, pray blessing, my guess is these prayers have been a lot more of like lightning striking and things like that, you know. Whatever it is, I've learned something in life. You can learn a lot about somebody by simply watching them pray. You can learn what, what's important to them. You can learn what they value. But I also think you can, you can see the depth of their relationship with God. My grandma passed away just a couple of years ago. And although my grandma wasn't a perfect woman, man, she was a woman who loved Jesus. And if you listened to her pray, man, you could tell she had a close relationship with Jesus. She didn't have to rev herself up. I mean, the moment she started praying, her heart just began to pour out. You could tell the things that mattered to God were the things that mattered to her. The prayer we're gonna look at today, Paul is praying. He's praying over this church in Philippi, this group of people that he loves deeply and he's pouring his heart out for them. And I think when we get to the end of this message today, when we close, we're gonna learn through Paul's prayer what the greatest prayer we could ever pray is. If you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter one, beginning in verse number nine. Philippians chapter one, verse nine. While you're turning there, uh, just a quick reminder, we started a brand new Bible reading plan last week. We kicked it off. Uh, today we're on Luke chapter seven. Tomorrow is Luke chapter eight. And so if you missed out or you didn't know about it, I encourage you to jump in today. Uh, every week we will post on Sundays the, the reading plan for the week. And so if you use a paper Bible, you know, a hard copy, you can read through that. But I would encourage you also, you could use the version reading plan. We started it off last week and we've already got 50 people who have jumped into that. There's a link on our Facebook page. But not only are you able to read through the app, there's a place where you can post your notes and your thoughts and interact with other people. And it's been fun to watch what people have been saying over this past week, all right? Let's go ahead and read our book together, our passage together. It says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge 
and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. And I ask God that you would take this prayer that's a couple thousand years old and God, I pray that you would dig it deeply into our hearts. God, that you would show what you want to out of this passage, Father, that we would go deeper in our relationship with you and with others. Pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. Now, you guys know that, that I've got three kids, right? Amber and I are blessed. We've got three kids. But during the time that we've had our children, we've prayed some different prayers. When my kids were younger, you know, I prayed, dear Jesus, let them get potty trained. I'm sick of buying diapers, right? You know, when they've gotten older and a little physical, it's like, dear Jesus, let them not kill each other. When they're frustrating me, I've prayed, dear Jesus, let me not kill them, you know? But now that they're in school, there's times when I pray, you know, God, would you help them with a test they've got or something like that? But then there's other kind of prayers that I pray. You know, the prayers that I pray late at night when everybody else is asleep. And I walk into their bedrooms and I'll lay a hand on them and I pray over them and I pray over their future and I pray over their life and I say, God, God, would you do a work, a work in their lives, in their hearts? God, would you call them close to yourself? God, that they would know you, Lord. God, I pray that you would do a work in them, but I, gotta, I pray you would do a work through them. I pray for their futures. Those kind of deep prayers, those fatherly prayers over my kids. That's what this prayer is. Remember, Paul is like the spiritual father of this church. He started this church in Philippi. He was the one that led them to faith. He, he started building this church. He poured his life into them. And now after this time together of speaking some life and thanksgiving, he is now showing the prayer that he's been praying over them, right? And I believe if Paul was here today, this prayer is one that he would pray over us. Now we're gonna break this prayer up section by section and, and I could preach an entire series out of this prayer alone. So I'm gonna try and move as quickly as I can, but I want you to follow along with me. The prayer starts out and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. That your love may abound more and more. Now, we always have issues with the word love, especially when it comes to scripture. Because we only have one word for love, right? We talk about, we love things. I love a cheeseburger. I love my favorite sports team. I, I love these shoes. I love that food. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my mama. You know, you love all these things, right? And so I don't even know what that word means exactly. But in the Greek, there are more than one word for love. And the, the word for love here that we have is the word agape. Agape. What is agape? Agape is the deepest form of love. It's actually grounded in the character of God. There's a verse that I'm sure many of you are familiar with in 1 John where it says that God is love. Shocking, that word love, guess what it means? Agape. God is agape. And if you wanna know what, what this love is really like, you look at the character of who God is. This love that is selfless and self-sacrificing and faithful. This is a committed kind of love, right? It's not a love that's dependent on feelings or emotions or circumstances or even the response of the other person. It's a love not of convenience. It's a love of commitment. It's how God treats us. And we said this the last couple of weeks, this grace, God's attitude toward us, the way that he, he gives us his unmerited favor, not based on the fact that we deserve it, but because he is good. That's what this agape love is like. And Paul's prayer 
for the Philippian church. And his prayer, I believe, for you and for me is that we would grow in agape. Now, what I find interesting about this is that there is no object to this love. He doesn't say your agape, your love for God or your love for people or your love for your spouse or your love for your parents or your love for your kids. He doesn't talk about any of those things. He just says that you would grow in your love, right? And I think it's very clear because as we grow in our agape, as we begin to look more like God, that we become selfless, we begin to lay ourselves down. There's no way that that agape doesn't express itself through our relationship with God and with other. That's just the natural outcome of growing in this agape, which makes sense because remember when Jesus said, what's the most important commands? He said, love God, love people. He said, there's no way you can separate these two. They're the same thing. You can't do one without the other. And that's true with agape. As we grow in our agape, the natural thing is our love for God and our love for people are both going to be impacted. But I love this prayer because he says this, that your love may abound more and more. It's not like he's saying, you guys don't love it all, right? You got no, none of this love, right? No, he's saying, you guys already do this. But, but my prayer is that it, it would abound more and more. It would just keep growing over and over for you and for me that our, that our agape love would grow and grow. It's not a destination. We say this in faith. Faith isn't about a destination. It's about a journey. And he's saying, be on this journey where you are progressively growing in your agape. And so I think it forces us, you and me, to ask ourselves this question. Does my agape abound more and more? Does my love abound more? Is it growing like if I was to ask myself like a year ago or five years ago, 10 years ago, 20, would I look back and say, man, I, I'm so much more loving and a selfless, unconditional type of love flows out of me so much more than it used to be? Or would you say, uh, I actually might be less loving than I used to be, less caring than I used to be. You know, I think I gotta, I gotta caution us church people and, and, and don't be offended because I'm a church person too, right? But here's the problem we can have as church people is that we can learn more without loving more. And I would say this, that learning more without loving more is a waste of time. Like the goal of Christianity isn't to attain more knowledge. The, the goal of Christianity is that we would become more like Jesus. And if we're gonna be more like Jesus, then we need our love to abound more and more, right? Like knowledge is important and we're about to talk about that. But if it does not produce this agape, this self-giving kind of love, then we've missed the point here. Instead of that, it results in spiritual arrogance, which is the one thing Jesus hated, right? God, would our love abound more and more? But the prayer goes on and he kind of balances this by saying this, that it would grow more and more in knowledge and depth of insight that it would grow in knowledge and depth of insight. This phrase is actually connected to the previous phrase. Now to understand that, you gotta understand what this word knowledge specifically means. Uh, I'm using lots of words here this morning. Epignosis, that's a Greek word for knowledge. And it's used 21 times in the New Testament and it's always in reference to the knowledge of God. And so what he's saying is here, the desire is that you would grow, this love would abound more and more in your knowledge of God. What exactly does that mean? What is Paul praying? He's, he's praying this, that your agape toward God and toward others will flow from a deepening knowledge 
of God himself. The more you understand him, it will impact the way you love other people. Listen, the more you have a revelation of God's holiness, the more you have a revelation of his righteousness, his perfection, his power, that his creator God over all, right? That he has everything in his hand. The more you understand that. And then at the same time, you understand that this God so self-emptied himself. We read about that in Philippians 2. He empties himself completely, right? And he comes and takes on the form of a human. And he becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross for you and for me. The more you begin to understand this, you, you start to see his grace and his goodness, his mercy, his loving kindness toward us, right? The more we see that, we recognize his devotion despite our failures. When we begin to see that, it begins to transform us in the way we live. This understanding of God changes us. You may want to write this down, but I believe this, that when we see how God loves, it should challenge how we love. The more we see how God loves, it should change us. Because oftentimes, our love looks a lot like the world. What We love people how? It, it's selfish and it's convenient. We love when it gets us what we want, and we love when it's convenient for us, when it's easy for us, when it doesn't take any work. But that's not what agape love looks like. It looks like Jesus. It looks like a self-giving kind of love. And this is the prayer Paul is praying that, that this church, the marker of this church is that they would be filled with a God-like kind of love. A love that surrenders and lays itself down. And so the question I want to ask you is this, is are you pursuing knowing God? Are you pursuing knowing God? Do you, do you desire to know him more? Do you get into his word? Are you wanting to understand him more? Are you asking, not just knowing about God, it's fine to know about God, but it's important to know God, to be in relationship, to be in prayer with him, to say, God, I actually need to see you better. I need a clearer revelation of you, God, that it doesn't just change my view of you, but it actually could transform me, that we would pursue the knowledge of God. This prayer Continues on and he says this, so that, all this stuff that he's prayed so far, so that you may be able to discern what is best. So that you may be able to discern what is best. So often we're concerned with what's good, right? Or sometimes we're just concerned with what's not bad, what's not wrong. I didn't do the evil thing. I'm, I'm fine, right? We live our lives this way. When you think about the, the way that we speak to one another sometimes, the way that we treat people. You know, things we do on social media, oh, it's not that bad. It's fine. I can do this. Uh, it may not be the best thing, but it, it's fine. No big deal, right? The way we spend our time, the way we uh, invest our time, the way we invest our resources, right? We can just kind of justify the things we do. We can justify our behavior, but we end up living so far below what's actually best for us. Think about your relationships. Specifically, if you're married, think about, think about it. Sometimes husbands, I know we can be guilty of this. We had a long day, we're tired, we come home. We know what would be best, you know, to show love and concern for our wives, but what do we wanna do? We wanna go sit down, we wanna relax, right? And we think to ourselves, you know, I know what's best, but I'd, I don't think, I'm, I haven't really done anything to tick her off, so she'll be fine with it, not a big deal, right? Like, is that really what we think God desires for us? Like that, that the best we can experience in our life is that, well, at least our wife isn't ticked off at us. 
that our life is okay, that we haven't done anything horrible, right? Listen, God wants some, something so much greater than that for your life and for my life. But we have to dig into him. We have to lean into him if we're gonna take hold of what is actually best. God doesn't want us just to avoid the bad. He wants us to live out the best. Listen, this happens with my kids sometimes. My kids, I'll, I'll tell them no, like they can't do something or I'll make them do something like really a horrible thing. I'll make them do things like brush their teeth, right? It's horrible. I'm a horrible father, right? And I'm like, brush your teeth. You're, you stink, you know? And my kids will be like, I don't wanna. Why do I have to brush my teeth? I don't like it. My teeth are fine. I brushed them yesterday. I'm like, yeah, gross. Okay, but I, I'm like, listen, you don't understand this right now. I have a bigger view than you do. I know it's inconvenient to you right now and you just don't think it's fun and you don't really wanna do that. You don't like the taste of the toothpaste, whatever it is. But I have a bigger view than you do. And I know this, nobody's gonna wanna be around you if you don't brush your teeth. Your teeth are gonna rot if you don't brush your teeth. One day you're gonna want to have another person think you look good and they're not gonna think you look good if your teeth have all rotted out, you know? I know these things because I am, I am more mature than they are. See, this is what it's like with God. There's times in life where we don't like what God is asking of us and we're like, well, that's not convenient. I don't like that. That isn't how the way I want it, right? But listen, the more we understand who God is, the more we have a knowledge of who God is, the more we recognize his agape love toward us, right? I think it causes us to let go of the lesser things and instead to choose to cling to him, trusting that he actually knows what's best and he desires what's best for our lives, right? I believe this, that the more you grow in the knowledge of God, then the more you will grow in your agape. And the more that you grow in your agape toward God and toward others, the more you'll be able to discern what is best. Not just what is good, not just what is convenient, but what is best. The prayer continues, says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, I don't have time to dig into all this. There's a lot of stuff right here in this thing. But just, just a real quick look at this is that we understand what does the word pure mean? It means unmixed, right? And we know this, that Jesus has called us to live a part of his kingdom, not the kingdom of this world. That we wouldn't mix ourselves up so much, right? That there would be a purity with which we live our lives. And then there's the word blameless. What does blameless mean? It means without accusation. It's that no one can say anything bad about you. Ultimately, what, what God is desiring for all of us is that we would live a different way from everyone else. That we wouldn't live like the world lives. We would live pure and blameless. So one of the problems in our modern Christianity is that we sometimes can develop an unhealthy focus on the concept of grace. Now, grace is amazing. It's God unmerited favor toward us. It's his attitude toward us. But unfortunately, if that's all we think about, then we can get to this place where we can start to have a sloppy faith. We're just like, well, God's okay with it all. He's fine. Just ask for forgiveness. No big deal. Not a big deal. No big deal. I can do whatever I want to and just ask for forgiveness. No, that's not what it means to be a follower of Christ. You see, God's grace has provided salvation extravagantly in a way that we don't deserve. And it's amazing, amazing grace, okay? But grace also gives us the ability to live differently. And if we say we're a follower of Christ, this is his expectation for us. 
that we, that we would be pure and blameless, that we would live differently than others do, right? But this prayer continues, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> filled with the fruit of righteousness. It, uh, does that mean that, it, that we just work really hard to try and be pure and blameless and righteous and we do all those things and then if we're really, really good, then we're gonna be righteous before God and then he'll be really happy? No, that's not what it means. Because you and I know that there's nothing that we could do to purify ourselves perfectly, to, to make ourselves right before a perfect God. That's not possible. In fact, when we get to chapter three of Philippians, he's gonna talk about it. It's all kind of worthless. All the stuff that we try to do, it's never gonna make us pure before God. No, it says this in Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse number, it says, it says for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Listen, you are saved by grace. This is the good news that Jesus Christ has done for you what you could not do for yourself. That's the good news of Jesus. We get to serve and live inside of his kingdom. Okay. But what in the world does the fruit of righteousness mean? Being filled with the fruit of righteousness. What does it mean? It means this. When you're connected to Christ, when you're living your life in relationship with Christ, righteous fruit should be evident in your life. Righteous fruit should be the natural outflow of your life. Have you ever, uh, have you ever seen an apple tree work hard? You know what I'm saying? Like, I've never, I, I go to an apple orchard every fall with my family. We always go and we're walking up and down. I've never walked up and down the rows of trees and just heard grunting. Like, you know, you got apple trees just like flexing, like trying to pop apples out. You know, I've never seen an apple tree do that. Why? Because apples are the natural outcome. They're the natural result of a branch that is connected to the main vine, right? And in the same way, righteous fruit is the natural outcome of a person who is connected to Christ. You know what it's like to, to be connected to Jesus? Listen, you don't have to effort that out. That becomes the natural outflow. You begin to look more like Jesus the more you are in relationship with Jesus. And this is what Paul is praying for these believers, that they would be so connected to Christ that this, this righteous fruit would flow out of them. That would just be the normal overflow of their lives. And I think this is an important thing that you and I at times probably need to ask ourselves is, is what is the fruit of my life telling me? You might need to ask, what is the fruit of your life telling you? Like what's coming out of your life? When you look at the things that are naturally popping out of your life, right? What is it telling you? When you look at it, do you see the fruit of the spirit? Like, do you see things like love and joy and peace? Is patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, is this stuff what's the marker of your life? You're seeing this flow out of your life. I'm not asking, is this what's normal for you? Like you're naturally a patient person. I'm asking, as you stay connected to Christ, do you begin to see this starting to flow out of you or is the opposite true? Do you look at your life and you begin to realize, you know what, I'm not loving, there's no joy, there's no peace. I'm like so impatient, right? When we see this kind of fruit coming into our lives then we need to say, okay, 
Am I as connected to Christ as I need to be? Have I been living in deep relationship? See, this is the prayer that Paul has for these believers, that they would be in deep, deep relationship with Jesus. It produces fruit, righteous fruit. Now, as you, as you can see, there's a lot in this prayer, right? It is so full of stuff. And this is one of those prayers, you could, I could dig into this for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. But I want to close this thing this morning. I know when we get into a message like this, it's like, what in the world? What's the one thing you want me to take away from this message? I, I think there is one thought, and this is what I would say is the greatest prayer we could ever pray. And it's our big so what for this morning. It's this. The pinnacle of prayer is for God to be glorified. The pinnacle of prayer is for God to be glorified. Like, why, why did Paul pray this whole prayer? He's asking all this stuff that they're love and, you know, that they'd have this knowledge and that they'd know what's best and blameless and the righteousness and all this kind of stuff. And then you get to the very end. What is the last few words? To the glory and praise of God. To the glory and the praise of God. Like, that's the point of this thing, that we would become these types of people. Why? That we might give glory and honor to God, that he would be glorified in and through us. That's the purpose of our lives, is that we would reflect his glory, that we would give him and shine glory on God, right? A lot of the times, if you're honest, when we pray, what do we pray about? We pray about stuff, you know? We pray about our needs or what we've got going on or that I got this issue in my life, I got this challenge and stuff. And listen, that's good stuff to pray for. Jesus said, he, you know, cast your burdens on me. I care for you. Like, it's good. These are good things to bring to God. But the pinnacle of prayer, the high point of prayer, the greatest prayer you could ever pray is that God would be glorified. He would be glorified. Rather than saying, God, this is what I want, this is what I need, we say, God, would you be glorified in my life? Would you be honored in my life? Would everything I do, everything I speak, everything I say, would it glorify your name? That's the greatest prayer. See, Jesus modeled this for us. In the book of John, we see Jesus interacting with his disciples and he's, he's talking with them a little bit and, and he's talking about what's coming. It's just a few days before he dies and, and he's acknowledging he's, he's a little concerned. There's, there's some anxiety in the disciples' hearts, right? But he says this in John chapter 12. He says, now my soul is troubled. Like, I'm troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Like, is that what I should pray? I should pray, God, get me out of this thing? Like, I don't want to do this thing. Is that what I should pray? But he goes on, he says, no. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. And we know the rest of the story because Jesus eventually goes to a garden, right? He goes into a garden. He prays, God, I don't want to do this, but ultimately your, your will, not my will. You know, you want to know what the, the greatest prayer you can pray as a follower of Christ is the type of prayer that says, I lay myself down, God. God, ultimately, I don't care about me and what I get. When you get to the place as a follower of Christ, you're not praying Christian prayers. You are praying follower of Christ kind of prayers that say, God, I die to me. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what my family wants. It's not about the future that I want. Father, my deepest desire is that you are glorified. And whatever you have to do in me, whatever you have to do through me, however you have to use me, if it means I have to give my very life, God, I pray that I would do that for the glory of God.
That is the pinnacle of what it means to follow Jesus. And that's the pinnacle of prayer. We say, God, I'm yours. Be glorified. That we pray prayers like, like this that say, God, God, I pray that, that my love would abound. God, you would fill me with your agape love, that I would know you more, that it would reflect its, itself inside of me, God, so that I could, I could learn what's best. I could do what's best. I could do the things that you're calling me to, Father, that I would live a pure and a blameless life filled with fruit that naturally just flows out of me because I'm so connected to you because ultimately my desire, Jesus, is to bring glory to God. That's what I want. You see, that's what we were created for. You were created for his glory and you are never going to experience the peace or the joy, the hope, or the Zoe life that he has available to you until you realize that. I wanna leave us with a challenge this morning because I believe this prayer can speak to us all the time. So my challenge for every single one of us this week is two parts. The first part is this, that you would make this prayer a part of your week. That you would take this passage out and you pray through it, just like I just did. That we would, we would make this a prayer of our heart, ultimately ending with this prayer. God, would you be glorified today? God, in the way that I speak, in the things that I do, the, the attitudes I have, God, God, even when it comes to social media, the things I post, God, that I don't, I don't say, oh, should I do this? Oh, would I like to do this? Is this what I'm feeling? You step back and say, God, would you be glorified with this? If the answer is no, God, I pray that I would stop and glorify you, right? That's my prayer for us. The second part of this challenge, this is a very practical way that we can use this, and it's this, that you would join us this week for First Wednesday at 8.30 p.m., Amber and I are gonna go live at 8.30 on Instagram and Facebook, and we're gonna take some time to, to worship and to pray together, and we're specifically gonna pray through this passage together. And I think it's gonna be a meaningful time for us as we, as we take this from just being something we listen to on Sunday, but something we actually leverage throughout the week, all right? I pray that all of you who consider yourself a follower of Christ would lean into this, but, but I also wanna talk to some of you who who you would say, you know what, I, I'm not really a follower of Christ. Listen, if you're watching right now, hear this. Jesus gave everything he had for you. He loves you with everything and he is calling you to himself. And the pinnacle of your prayer could be this. God, I lay my life down. God, I wanna be for your glory. When you turn your life and you surrender your life to Jesus, what happens? You are given a brand new beginning, a new hope and a new opportunity in this world. It's what it's called. You are reborn as a follower of Christ. And I wanna invite you to respond with me. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are calling all of us into a deeper relationship with you. We're so grateful that that despite the fact that a lot of times we turn from you, a lot of times we run from you, a lot of times we do our own thing, God, you are constantly calling us back to yourself. And God, I pray for everybody who considers themselves a follower of Jesus. God, I pray that their hearts would turn toward you, God, that they would, uh, Father, continue to bring their needs, but ultimately end in a position that says this, God, no matter what happens, whether you do what I want or not, God, I pray that you would be glorified, that we would be those kind of followers committed followers of Christ. In every circumstance, we are yours, Lord, and we're for your glory. 
And God, I pray for anyone who's listening right now, who's, who's never turned their life over to you. God, I pray that they would, they would, for the very first time maybe, say, God, I give you myself. I surrender my life to you. I wanna live for you completely. I acknowledge my weakness and my failure and my sin. And God, I need you to save me. So I lay myself down. And God, I say, be glorified in my life. God, I pray that you would meet people right where they're at, wherever they're watching today. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, if you did respond to Jesus or you want to explore what does that mean to follow after Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do something real quick for me. If you pull out your phone and just simply send a quick email to faith at zchurch.org, faith at zchurch.org. I'm going to respond to those personally, and I'd love to be able to help you out in the journey of faith together, all right? Well, as we close our time this morning, uh, we're actually going to end with a time of communion which I think is so perfect based on the message that we just had is Jesus talks about the fact that he, he laid everything down. And we see this God in heaven who is powerful, this God who, who loves the world that created the world and at the same time would come and die for this world. It's just, it's a mind-boggling thing. And you and I, it's so easy for us to forget. It's so easy for us just to move on in life. But he left us a very tangible thing that we could do regularly. And so if you've got your, your uh, cracker and your juice or whatever you have, whether it's a solid and a liquid, whatever you've got is okay. We're gonna participate in communion together. It's a time for us to remember, you know, he took his body and he said, you know what? I'll let it be broken for you. He said, here's my blood. I'm gonna spill it out for you. You remember this Jesus who said he was there from the foundations of the world? Creation happened through him, like, and then he died for you, and he died for me. And Christianity doesn't get beyond this moment as we remember. We say, God, thank you. Above and beyond all the theology of it is the reality of a simple act of utter surrender that you would give your life for us. It's something that a, a three-year-old can understand. And God, no matter how far we've grown in our faith, God, may we remember this is what started it, but this is what we are called to as well. That we live lives that look like this, poured out for others. It says on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body. Can we eat together? Thank you, Jesus. Just say that where you are. Just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. He says in the same way after dinner, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Can we drink together? God, we thank you for your surrender. We thank you for your life. God, I pray that we would look more like you, living out the agape love that you've given for us. We thank you for that, Jesus.